Well, this morning we're continuing with, I'm, I'm so excited about this study, and I know I've not said that about any study. To me, and I've said this before, when we're teaching the Word of God, whether we're doing it expositionally, which means book by book, chapter by chapter, you know, verse by verse, or we're teaching it thematically, a systematic issue, or studying as we have done the love of God, or whatever it is, Every study, at least for me, is extremely exciting because in each study, we all, and I say we together, we, usins together, we all are being instructed by the Holy Spirit. We're all are being further matured. Amen. We're growing together in fellowship with one another and with the Holy Spirit. So it's exciting. I, I just love this short five-chapter book. There's so much in it. So let's continue this morning. Remember, in chapter 2, in verses 1 to 17, John has now turned his attention to the believers of the church. Remember, he has addressed the unbelievers. If we say we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, what's the answer to that? If we confess our sin, if we confess, I am a sinner. God is faithful and just to what? To what? Cleanse us, uh, to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, by the way, how much unrighteousness? Now, if God cleanses us from all our, uh, all our unrighteousness, is there any more unrighteousness in us as far as our standing or legal uh, condition before God? No. Unrighteousness in that case is our legal standing before the judge. The judge has said you are no longer guilty. You're no longer unrighteous. You are now my righteous children. So we've dealt with that. And so in chapter 2, he begins to deal with this activity of the fellowship that they are to enjoy with one another as expressive of the fellowship that is in the Trinity among the three persons of God. Once again, we must make sure we get this. The fellowship that we experience, the fellowship that we pursue in the church is to be expressive of the very fellowship that exists within God among the three persons of God. That's where God's glory, the glory of who he is intrinsically in himself, that's where and how the glory of God is manifested in us. So that's what's going on here. That's the fellowship we are to be maintaining, to be guarding, to be promoting. And that's the fellowship that John is dealing with. And so We've already started that. He's talked about how that now he's going to talk about the walk of the church. Remember the word walk is the Greek word parapeteo, which means what? Your manner of life, the way you live your life. Our walk, when John uses the word walk, when Paul uses the word walk, walk this way, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's talking, these men are talking about the way they live their lives. They're not talking about, as we said last week, an individual step. But the continuing steps of our life, 
because I would dare say that all of us walked in here. Did we all walk in here this morning? But how many of us, although we can walk once in a while, stop walking for a moment? How many of us have done that? How many of us have stopped walking for a moment? Does that mean we cannot walk and that there's something wrong with us? No. And so all of us in the Christian life are living this life in Christ and we're walking hopefully in righteousness, according to righteousness, expressing the goodness and the holiness of God in our lives. But once in a while, that walk is going to come to a stop. There's going to be sin. When that happens, does that mean I am no longer walking? No, it means that I stop walking. I need to deal with that. Stop walking, allow the Holy Spirit to deal with it and to get me walking again. Amen. So John is going to make sure don't be insecure. When in your walk, you have an occasion to stop walking. Our lives are in Christ. And we are walking in the Holy Spirit. As he is walking in us, if you would. And so we get to an area in chapter 2 where John begins to really bear down on one issue. The central issue of the way we can, sorry, the central issue as to our security in Christ and as to our function in Christ. This is the central issue as to our security in Christ and as to our function in Christ. It is that word which so many don't like. It is the word of obedience. Obedience. It is the central issue in our security and in our, what was the other word I just used? Our security in what? Function in the Christian life. So let's remember that obedience has always been the only way to enter the kingdom of God. You can only enter through obedience. Genesis 1.17. Sorry, it should be 2.17. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall, shall surely not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Obedience. Now, how do we enter the kingdom of God? We must obey. Now, how many of us have heard? We don't enter the kingdom of God through obedience. We enter through faith. Right? But is there a difference? You see, here's the issue. If we're not careful, we will parse. We will divide the word in such a way as it will lose a lot of its central significance. Paul talks about in Romans 1, the obedience of faith. And so we enter the kingdom by obedience. Listen to what we see in John 3.36. He who does not obey the son does not see life. Now, how many of you didn't realize that was in there? Only a couple of you. I mean, how many of us didn't realize, wait, we have to obey the son to enter the kingdom of God? Come on, come on, you can, you can say okay. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that was in there. But it is. Now, what is the obedience? The obedience is this. When the whole, it, it doesn't say obey in order to enter. It says obey the son so you'll see life. 
So what is obedience? Obedience is what happens in me and in you. When, according to Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit touches me and gives me a new heart, having taken out of me the hard heart of disobedience, putting in me the new heart of flesh called obedience. So the result of him doing this spiritual heart transplant gives me, first of all, the desire to obey, which I didn't have before, and the ability to obey. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit enters me and deals with it, I will obey. What does that mean? I will receive Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Amen? Amen. So we obey. Otherwise, you ain't in the kingdom. You can't come in. So John understands that the necessity of obedience, the necessity the centrality of our obedience <clears throat> will create potential difficulties for those who are concerned about the security. Why? If we over-emphasize if we emphasize obedience, and we should, and too often it isn't emphasized in churches. Everything about our relationship with God, may I repeat that word? Everything about our relationship and fellowship with God has to do with our obedience. Obedience. Everything. But the problem is when we hear that, what happens to my I'm secure in Christ? But if I'm hearing the word obedience wrongly and misapplying it, Bo, then I begin to worry about my security because I have placed my obedience and the necessity of my obedience into the wrong category. And I have placed it into the category of what I must do to be kept saved. Are you with me this morning? The central issue of obedience in our lives is the activity of of the obedience of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit that he is producing in us. In other words, when God saved us and called us righteous, he now sees us as having been completely obedient to him in all things. And right now, we are walking that out. How many of you have ever, I need to hurry, I'm not going to get through these notes. How many of us have ever, how many of us have children, grandchildren or something? Now, do you remember your child has to have a suit or a nice dress or whatever, especially for boys? So the, 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 the jacket you buy may be a little bit too what? Too big. Why? Because you're wanting to use it for this occasion, but you're also wanting to be able to do what? To grow into it. So you see, the clothes of righteousness are really too big initially. You know what I'm saying to you? Can I use that analogy? They're big. You know, they, the sleeves, but as I walk with Christ, the Holy Spirit is causing me to grow into this new clothing so it becomes more and more form-fitting. That's what's going on. I'm not obeying in order to get the clothes I done got the clothes, and now I'm obeying in order to, what, fill it out. Do we see it? 
So John needs to make sure that we get all this theology and this doctrine. Doctrine is so important. This doctrine clear and correct. I suppose one of my biggest concerns when I hear people preach and teach out there, whatever, they get these things muddled, and I don't like that. It doesn't mean that I have clarity in everything, but at least I want to try by the leading of the Spirit to make it as clear as I can. So, in order to protect the fellowship, you're still sinning, Mary. How can you say you have fellowship with God? You see, what happens when we still continue to sin? How can I have security in Christ when I know I still sin? Has anyone in here stopped sinning on a practical daily basis? Anyone in here at all? Husbands, did you notice your wives did not raise their hands? Wives, did you notice your children did not raise their hands? So what do we do, Jody? I have sin in my life. What about my security? Well, he writes the first two verses of chapter 2. So let's look at those first two verses today and see if we can get through that today. If we can't, we'll go on next week. So he says this. My little children, I don't want you to sin anymore. Do you see what I'm saying there? I'm writing these things to you that you what? That you stop sinning. And if any one of you guys, if you sin, now look at the verbs. Look at the verbs. If you sin, if we sin, we what? Have. What does that mean? Right now, have. Right now. This is our possession today, now. It ain't, it's not that we're going to have, which we're going to have, but the emphasis is what? Right now, you have it. If we sin, we what? Have what? An advocate. Where, where, where? With the Father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, what has he done? And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only but also for the sins of the whole world now we're going to get into that issue about the whole world does that mean universalism that Jesus forgives everybody in the world that God so loved the world therefore you know the gospel is out there and God is just waiting for people to come in and uh, uh, you know if people don't come in they're not being saved that's not what's going on here we have to make sure. So when we get into verse 15, 16, and 17, we'll go back and talk about this issue of the world. We have an advocate. Here is the rock bottom statement of our security. Now, I ask you again, make sure you know it by heart. My little children, I write these things to you that you what? Sin not. And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the kernel of how God 
fulfills his purpose of the gospel. This is the way God does it. We are saved because of these two verses. We are kept saved because of these two verses. We're going to be with God forever. Why? Because of these two verses. Now, first of all, how does he, how does he begin? Remember, he's talking to a church that People have come in here and are rattling our doctrinal cage. We're not sure about our security. They say they have knowledge and they know God and, and we don't have some of that stuff. And so they're, they're saying we can't know God unless we do those things and understand that or whatever. You've heard that before, haven't you? That you can't know God unless you have these issues and, you know, whatever. Okay, so am I secure? Am I saved? How can I be sure I'm saved? And if you ever ask that, how can I be sure I'm saved? The, the apostle's going to answer these questions. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you. But look how he starts it. Right off the bat, my little darlings. The word children in, in 1 John is used three different ways, and we'll talk about each way as we get to it. My little darlings. Why does he call them darlings? Joe, you look like a little darling this morning. You know, all of you know Joe. He's, he's a sweet little darling. Look, look at him. Look at this guy. This man is God's darling. This man is God's darling. How many of you know Fred George? Fred, where are you? Stand up, Fred. Oh, you are standing. Oh, there he is. Now. How many of you, Fred, look, you're God's darling. Why do I emphasize darling? Because the children, the word children doesn't express it well enough. Listen, you can have some kids and not think they are darlings. Am I right on that? I mean, some of us here, I wasn't considered my mother's little darling. My mother didn't have any darlings. Oh, <laughs> Anton, you're God's darling. Do we see that? Why does John start that way? Because immediately he's setting the stage for them to receive the doctrinal reason why you are God's darlings. He doesn't just say that because he just likes you. Oh, I just like you, Stephen. I like you. No, it's much more than that. He is communicating certainly his own personal affection. But in that communication of his affection for these people, he is communicating the affection of a father who has given his son for our forgiveness and whose son now, now stands at the right hand of God advocating for us as to our eternal justification, righteousness in him. Amen? Amen. This is security. So in doing this and using this term, he does not ignore the sin issue. So what does he say? Hey, I don't want you to sin. Why? Because God has saved and empowered them by the Spirit to no longer commit sin. We were saved and forgiven of all sin 
Not to give us freedom to sin, but freedom from sinning. You see, before we were saved, we had no freedom from our ability to stop sinning. Amen? We had to sin continually because it was our nature to sin. Remember these words of Jesus in John 8.36. If the Son makes you free, or sets you free, whichever word. If the Son makes you free, you what? You free. You free indeed. You see, Jesus has freed us, and we've talked about this before, from the authority. What does that mean? The control, the dominion, the thing that makes it so in my life. Jesus has freed us from the authority of sin and Satan. Can you say amen? This means this. We no longer have to commit any purposeful sin. So the next time you do something wrong and the Holy Spirit convicts you, do not call God a liar by looking somewhere else to blame. Whoa, oh, somebody got hurt on that. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, James. I know you wouldn't have acted that way except the way he said something to you. He said it. That was insulting. When he talked about your curly hair. That's insulting. And I understand why you got frustrated and yelled at him. When you think that, you're calling God a liar. Now, none of us would say, God, you're a liar. How many would do that? How many want to stand up here right now and do it? <laughs> but we do it regularly when we blame husbands, wives, children, relatives, whatever, for anything in my life that is sin. God ain't no liar. We are the ones who are lying. Right, Donnie? We are lying. See, so... Jesus has freed us from the authority of sin. He's going to, John's going to say, somebody's going to say, how has he done it? What, what, what if we continue to sin? If we continue to sin, is my relationship with God? Did you notice I said relationship rather than fellowship? Remember, our relationship is our legal standing before God in Christ. You got it? This is not how the world says, hey, I have a new relationship. Man, we did well. What happened? Well, something happened. We're no longer in relationship. Okay. That's, that's the way the word, use, the, word, the word is used in the world. That's fine. That's fine. But when it comes to the Bible, we dare not take the world's definition of relationship and impose it upon what the Bible says about relationship. Our relationship to God as father and us as his children is based in our unity in Christ who is the ever-living Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Amen? We are in that kind of Son-Father relationship that Jesus is with the Father. There is a Son at the right hand of the Father, and we are in Him. Therefore, we are, this word generic, sons. We're not talking about boys and girls. We, all of us are sons of God. 
all of us. That's a generic term, which means the closest possible relationship that you can have with someone, son and father. Suppose I continue to sin. Well, John's going to answer that. Here John explains how we are kept secure and forgiven. How? Do you mean to tell me that what Jesus has done overcomes and transcends all of my sin? Do you believe that? Yes. Yes. He says this. How does it happen? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the answer. Those words right there, that's the answer. The rest of it gives, fills it in, fills it in with more information. You see? Do we get that? So what happens when I sin? Where is my security? Where is it? Isaac, where's my security? Hmm? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Carolyn, where's your security? I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Miguel, where's your security? I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the right. Pat, where's your security? I have an advocate with the Father. Rosa, I have an advocate with the Father. Jonathan, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Patty, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's the matter, Celeste? You worried? I, stopped, I looked at Celeste and stopped. She says, uh-oh. Why, why did he run out of, I have an advocate with the Father? Do we see that? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we who are God's darlings, why are we God's darlings? Phyllis, why are we God's darlings? Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Which sin does this all-knowing advocate forget to deal with? How much of our sin does he always deal with? All. There's none left out. All are included. And if that's the case, and since that's the case, can we be secure in his ability and desire, in his faithfulness? Can we? Now, I say this. Jesus is ever faithful to be our advocate. Correct? But the primary issue of that faithfulness is not remember to us. It's faithful to the Father to keep the Father's children secure. Therefore, he's faithful to us. See, I don't like teaching which puts us above God 
And not that I think Christians do that overtly. I think we wind up doing it unintentionally because we make it. The first discussion is about us. Well, God is faithful to me. Well, certainly. And we say that because that's what the experience is. But then let's make sure we get the doctrine clear. Let's make sure the doctrine begins to control the experience. Correct? So to whom is Jesus primarily faithful? Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God. And Jesus' eternal faithfulness to the Father. To purchase a family and to keep that family ever secure before the throne of God is his primary faithfulness. Therefore, he's faithful to us. Right, Sherry? Therefore, he's faithful to you. Therefore, you are his darling. Are we getting it clearer as far as the structure is really concerned? You see, the picture here is of a courtroom. So we have an accuser. Who is that? Where does it say he accuses the brethren day and night? Revelation 12.10, I think it is. Someone may want to look it up. We have an accuser who accuses us of sin continually. You notice the Holy Spirit doesn't accuse me of sin. Have you ever noticed that? Does the Holy Spirit accuse you of sin? When he comes, remember the spirit, he will convict the world. Ah, difference, conviction and accusing. And sometimes when we are being convicted, we think he's what? Accusing. His accusation has to do with legal standing. And the purpose and motive of Satan when he accuses us is to get us to think that we have lost our relational standing in Christ because of this particular sin that I have done 15 times in a week. How can I be saved? There I go again. Is this the one that God will have no more tolerance for? Is it? One of the verses you need to get straight in your mind, the last words of Romans 5.20. You can write it down, Romans 5.20. Where sin abounds, grace abounds a whole lot more. One molecule of grace can overcome and does overcome all the accumulated sin of all people for all time. Amen? One molecule. That's the grace of God. So can my sin be part of that comprehensive sin of all people for which that molecule overcomes? So it's a courtroom. You've sinned. There's a judge. God's the judge. Now, in Ezekiel 18.20, you may remember, the soul that sinneth shall what? Die. Remember Genesis 2.17, you shall surely die. Death is always the penalty for every sin. Every person who ever sins and whoever will sin, listen to me. Every person who ever sins or whoever will sin shall pay the price. That Each one of those sins shall be judged unto death. Correct? 
even for a believer, our sins are judged unto death. God cannot and he will never allow even one sin to not suffer the penalty of death. Every sin must be punished with death. Can you say amen? There's none left out. But what's the good news for the believer? Our sin has been punished unto death in him. Eddie, aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad of that? But believe me, every sin that I commit, ever will commit, have committed, and everybody else in this world, death is always and the only payment for sin. Death. The soul that sinneth what? Exodus, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 18, 20, shall die. So Galatians 2, 20. These are free. These are not in your notes. Galatians 2, 20. See, Ezekiel, what, 18, 20? So what do I do? Galatians 2, 20. Come on, everybody should know. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by the, by faith in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and who gave himself for me. Oh, yes. My sins were punished in this vicarious substitute who represented me and who is now my advocate. So when that comes in, that accuser, <clears throat> Jesus steps up. An advocate, you do realize, is an attorney, you know, one who represents a legal case. He steps up. Stephen Fortenberry has sinned. You just sin. You're wrong. You sinned. The penalty for your sin is death. Jesus stands up. The accuser is right. And my darling sinned. The accuser is right. His sin deserves death. And I have paid the full price. Can you say amen? And God says, boom, case dismissed case dismissed thank you yes you may clap we need to get excited about this so listen to these verses in Colossians 2 13 and 14 when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh when you were dead in sin he God made you alive together with him with Christ having forgiven us all transgressions. How? Having canceled out the certificate of debt. Meaning the debt that I owe to God is death and all the sins are listed. This is a big document that I'm carrying around on my back. Big, big document. Every sin and death. Every sin, death. Every sin, death. Every sin. That's the certificate of my debt to God. My debt to God is death. It's not a debt to Satan as some goofballs teach. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against me, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen. So when God sees sin, death, he sees that. But he also sees this word, tetelestai. John nineteen thirty. 
paid in full, or you may have read it this way. It is finished. See, God sees your sin. You know, every once in a while we come across some of these teachings of songs. God doesn't see our sin anymore. Oh, for goodness sakes, give me a big break. God doesn't see your sin. Well, of course he sees your sin. <laughs> he ain't blind. But he sees it through the glasses of the forgiveness in the blood of Christ. Correct? Therefore, he doesn't apply the sentence of death. Therefore, we live forever in Christ. So, Jesus is our advocate. So, what are the credentials of this advocate? How did he do this? What happened? He himself is what? The propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What, 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 what makes him our advocate? Propitiation has to do with the satisfaction of justice. That's what propitiation has to do. Some of your Bibles may say the atoning sacrifice. I just like the word propitiation because it comes from a Greek group of words which has to do with satisfaction of justice. The justice of God demands that the soul that sinneth must die. That's justice. The world is very concerned and interested in justice today. Amen? If the world wants justice so much, the just... Justice of God says every soul that what? Sins is going to die. We don't need justice. We need mercy. Amen. Now, there's justice different. But, you know, we have to make sure we're talking about the same kind of stuff. He paid for our sin, thus satisfying the justice of God. Romans 6.10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. What is the result? Hebrews 9.12, through, through his own blood, he entered the holy place, what? Once for all, there is no more continuing sacrifice. He did it once for all, having obtained, what word is that? Eternal redemption. How long are we saved? We are saved for as long as Jesus lives. Correct? We're saved for as long as Jesus lives. As long as he lives, we're saved. If he dies, <laughs> and he ain't dying. You see, the propitiatory death of Jesus is the legal basis for our confidence before God. Our advocate is our advocate because he is the propitiatory um, uh, substitute and representative the one who has satisfied how much fully all of it the justice of God the justice says Ezekiel 18 20 the soul that sins shall die. I didn't say we'll have a bad day it didn't say you may lose your job I mean all that may happen there's only one payment for sin death every sin is always punished ours in Christ 
and the rest of those in the world, they will be pain in their own bodies. The punishment for sin and the penalty of sin. See, Jesus' resurrection is the relation. The propitiatory death of Jesus is the legal basis for our confidence. Do we see that? The legal basis. And his resurrection is the relational basis of our ability not to sin. Do we get it? We have a legal basis that is first established at the cross. And when Jesus says it is finished, the legal activities or necessities totally, completely, and forever done with. It's, it's completed. He's accomplished it. Now, in the resurrection, we are brought before the Father as his sons to be in relationship with God the Father in Christ by the Holy Spirit forever. The resurrection, therefore the ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit, remember, is the relational basis for our fellowship. Because the result of our relationship is fellowship with God as expressed with one another. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Behold, what? All things are what? All things have become new. All things are, yeah. We're new. We're new in Christ. What's the security? What's the basis of our renewal? The legal requirements were paid for at the cross. And the resurrection has brought us into this filial family relationship. And we are kept there forever by the continuing advocacy of our attorney before the bar of God's justice until Jesus returns. And then we need no more of an advocate because sin will finally be done away with in the kingdom of God. See, this is why we have fellow confidence. This is why we can have confidence to walk in the light. What does walk mean? Our daily activity. This is why we can have confidence to walk in the light and so manifest our fellowship with God in our fellowship with one another. This is our confidence. So the next time you're accused of sin by anybody, if you're guilty, what? You're right. Don't point the finger because you call God a liar. See, pointing the finger that way, it really you're pointing it this way. And so, then say what? I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for my sins. And not for mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Next week, we'll start looking at three issues that deal with our security. So, thanks for coming. Thank you so much.